Esther chapter 5, X Esther, the Old Testament book of Esther, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> the title of the message is this, the flesh is never satisfied. We've been following the saga of Mordecai, Esther, King Ahasuerus, they had a party, uh, they all got drunk. Uh, he said to his queen, Queen Vashti, come in and uh, show yourself, you show your beauty. And she refused to be demeaned in such a matter. As a result, while he was uh, uh, drunk, uh, he made a law and said, man, you'll never come before me again. Uh, when he sobered up, he thought, you know, that was a bad law. But it was the law of the Medes and Persians. He could not be altered. It could not be changed. And so uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't undo it. And so they had a, a pageant, a process, government process to find a new queen, and uh, Esther was the one that was chosen. You know anything about government processes? You know, it, it's not like uh, one season of uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. It's uh, years in uh, trying to figure out, i got to get them in, you got to get them cleaned up. I call it uh, de-stinkifying them, had to de- uh, get, get them cleaned up, uh, had to teach them protocol, all different kinds of things had to happen and then Esther was chosen. Uh, one of the, uh, there's one a Jew in the city, Mordecai, who would not bow uh, to uh, Haman. Haman was a number two state, statesman in the time, and uh, Mordecai was a Jew. He was on, on, on a member of the court, uh, sat at the gate, made the legal decisions, and that just annoyed uh, Haman uh, to an amazing degree. And we're going to see that here in chapter 5. As such, that he went to the king and he said, uh, didn't say who they were, but said, hey, there's a group of people, certain group of people in your kingdom. Uh, they don't uh, listen to you. They don't obey your laws. Uh, they don't pay their taxes. Uh, they're bad citizens. Uh, we need to eliminate them. And he got the king without full disclosure, which happens a lot of times in politics. He got the king to sign off on a law that would eliminate all of the Jewish people. What he has not considered is that uh, Esther is a Jew. He does not know that. He does not know that. Uh, and the king doesn't know that he has just signed a law that says that he's going to kill his new queen. He doesn't know that. Uh, but that's going to be discovered not in chapter 5, uh, but it is a sad tale. Let's look at chapter 5. Now we've got Haman. And now it came to pass on the third day, Esther has said uh, in the previous chapter, Esther has said to Mordecai, I'll go in and see the king. But if the king hasn't called for me and he hasn't called for me in a month, if the king has not called for me and I can be put to death, if he does not extend to me his scepter, I, I, I can be killed. You just don't come before the king unless you've been called. And Mordecai said, listen, in the previous chapter, you, you best do it. God's going to preserve his people. And if you think for a moment that that law of the Medes and Persians to kill all the Jewish people isn't going to apply to you, you've got another thing coming. And uh, God, who knows whether or not thou has been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Esther says, I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. But uh, first of all, I want you to fast uh, for, for three days, you and the people. And so they have done that. This is the third day, and we're into chapter 5. Now, it came to pass on the third day, the third day of fasting, to be assumed praying, but not mentioned. 
Esther, that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. And then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given, uh, given thee to the half of the kingdom. That's just kind of, that was a phrase that was pretty popular at the time. Uh, it's a way of saying, I'll give you anything you want. Uh, what, what do you want? You name it. And, and I'll take care of it. Up to half of the kingdom. And that was a, a common phrase at the time. <clears throat> Verse 4. And Esther answered, If it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther hath said. Uh, so the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther, At the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom, it shall be performed. Now uh, then, Esther an- then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. People look at that and say, she's got him there. She's got Haman there. Why is she waiting another day? And I think the answer to that is found in one word, and that's wine. Uh, We know, if you look back at chapter 3, verse 15, the king and Haman were drinking buddies. After Haman got the king to sign this law, the two of them sat down to drink. Look at verse uh, chapter 3, just a reminder, a little review, verse 15. And the, and the post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. Yeah, I'll bet. And so they come to this party. It's Haman and the king. And probably the first thing they did was they started drinking. And, and Esther's looking at these two guys thinking, this is not the day to do this. Because they're drinking. And, and he's already got a habit of, <clears throat> he was drinking in chapter 1 and passed a law uh, that he regretted to get rid of Ashtai. And now uh, I need him to be sober-minded, and he's uh, he's with Haman and drinking again. Um, this 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 got disaster written all over it. Uh, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. And so <clears throat> the first day, I can see the king and Haman coming in, and uh, now the king is like, "There's something serious going on here," and uh, I, I don't know what it is, but but I need to figure out what it is. The first day he came to to party. The second time he's coming, there, there's something more going on here than she just wants me to come to eat. And the next day, uh, we're going to see next week in chapter 6, he's going to come in sober. And uh, she's going to present him uh, with what, what's going on. But she doesn't do it today. But verse 9, <clears throat> uh, let's focus on Haman for a few minutes. Because the title of the message is, The Flesh is Never Satisfied. And, and there's probably not a better representation of the flesh than verses 9 
uh, through 14. Uh, verse 9, Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. <laughs> I've been invited to the queen's banquet and I'm going back tomorrow. Uh, what's the next word? But. But. I've got that circled. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. <clears throat> Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king into the banquet that she had prepared but myself. <laughs> and tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. The flesh is never satisfied. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high. And tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. This is not any small feat here. Fifty cubits, seventy-five feet. And he's going to be, have the gallows made in 24 hours. Father, we are thankful for your word and pray that as we consider the flesh and our flesh, that it is never satisfied. May we be challenged this morning to be Christians that walk in the Spirit. Put on our robe, royal apparel and walk in the Spirit. Well, thank you for the challenge we received this morning as we look to you and ask for you to work in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The flesh is never satisfied. A telling statement of the depravity of the human heart. And it's easy for us to look at Haman and say, wow, that guy, nothing could satisfy him. But what do you have? And what does mankind say? It, 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 it doesn't matter. Police department, fire department, government, they want $1 more. I want to make more money. Uh, they're making more than I am. I want to make more than that. And it bothers them that another jurisdiction is making more money than they are. They want more money, more money, more, more benefits. The flesh is never satisfied. I can remember sitting in roll calls uh, 30 years ago. It hasn't changed. Uh, 35 years ago. And the guys would say, man, I need more money, more money, more money. I said, seriously, fellas, you get paid a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> you, this, you, you've never worked a real job before. And worked on the farm picking up rocks in the field 12 hours a day, dollar twenty-five an hour. And, and, you, you, and that was no benefits. The benefit of going home at the end of the day tired, I guess. One dollar more, one more, one more trinket, one more house, one more furnishing, one more book. I don't know, what, what do you collect? One more pen, one more doll. Uh, there's always one more, one more thing. Uh, we collect, and Haman is collecting. But 
in collections of flesh is never satisfied. He had promoted, he had prospered, he, he was prompted, he was invited, and he was bitter, bitter. Why? Because he had no satisfaction. He had no, he, he could not see the big picture that he was a sinner. And the end of sin is hell. But Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay that sin penalty. And he, 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 just, he just didn't want to acknowledge that at all. But, but here we are. We know Christ. We know of Christ. We know of his sacrifice. We know what he did. But many people will not turn to Christ. Many Christians will not follow Christ. They try to walk in the flesh. The flesh is never satisfied. One more thing. And so today we have the phrase that is uh, widely uh, in the news, and that is, from the river to the sea. And what is that? Eliminate the Jewish people. And, and that is nothing new. This, is, this chapter, this event, this historical event, 2,500 years ago. Here we are 2,500 years later, and the Hamans of this world are still out there saying, Eliminate them all from the river to the sea. Wipe them off. Push them in the Mediterranean. Eliminate the Jewish people altogether. And that's not a new concept. That hatred has been brewing. No two-state solution is going to solve this problem. What is going to solve this problem? Salvation. Christ. Craving of the flesh is rooted in sin. Haman has a sin problem, and he needs a savior. Uh, but verse one, what does what does Esther do? What is a Christian to do in a day and age, her day and age, our day and age, when we are confronted with the desire and the design to destroy? A Christian, Christian faith, Christianity, Christians in the workplace, the, the moral fiber and fabric of our society. What are we to do? Well, verse 1, came to pass on the third day, Esther put on her royal apparel. What a, what a contrast between someone that walks in the flesh and somebody that walks in the spirit. Uh, the, again, verses 9 through 14, we have Haman. He's rehearsing about how great he is, how wonderful he is. Frank, your people are here. How great he is, how wonderful he is, how powerful he is, but. And, and Hester, Esther just goes in and she puts on uh, the spirit. She puts on the garments, uh, her royal apparel. Uh, and I'll just say, again, bringing this to a present day application, that if you are a Christian and you know Christ as your Savior, that you are in the king's family and you should put on your royal apparel. Uh, and we'll talk about what that is. Uh, uh, the contrast, again, is Haman, who is just not satisfied. Instead, he builds this, this gallows 50 cubits high. Why, why 50? Well, at this time, the Jewish people are in, they're celebrating Passover. Passover was, a, was an event that lasted... Fifty days. I, if you think that's a coincidence, man, you, you, you believe in coincidences. I don't believe that's a coincidence at all. 
Uh, so here they are, they're looking at the Jewish people. The Jewish people are in, they're celebrating a Passover when God redeemed them, led them from Egypt, and they, they killed the Passover lamb, and they were effective, successful in fleeing the bondage of Egypt. And they celebrated that again for 50 days. Now we're going to eliminate them? How, how big are we going to make this thing? <sighs> 50. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Uh, certainly, someone who hangs on a gallow is cursed. So we're going to make it 50 cubits high. 50, 50, 50 cubits high. 75 feet. Do you know how tall that is? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever tried to climb up uh, 50 feet. We have, uh, uh, on the farm, we have a 100-foot silo. And so, uh, you, when I want cell signal... You, got, you want good cell signal, you've got to climb to the top of the silo. So I, I don't typically have a tendency to do that in the wintertime. But you go out there and you get on that thing, you start climbing up. You're climbing. You can see a long ways at 100 feet. I would say that probably 10 feet might have been sufficient to hang somebody. But it didn't send the statement that Haman wanted to send. And that's, you don't mess with me. And so overnight, in 24 hours, they made this gallows 75 feet, 50 cubits. 50 cubits high. Amazing. And what does Esther do? She puts on her royal apparel. What is a royal apparel in the Christian life? Well, in the first century, uh, New Testament Christianity, uh, the Romans were persecuting the Jewish people to an uh, amazing extent. Uh, the book of Romans was written in the 13th chapter. Uh, this is what the admonition to the Christian is. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they shall resist, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Uh, verse 4 says he's a revenger. Uh, verse 6 says you should pay tribute your taxes. Uh, verse 7 says uh, pay your dues, tribute to tribute, custom to custom, honor to honor, owe no man to everything. And then verse 9 says thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then verse 13 gives an admonition. We're in the 13th chapter of Romans, verse 13. Verse 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 13 says, But put ye on, what is our royal apparel? But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. And that chapter ends. What is our royal apparel today? I would say our royal apparel is the same royal apparel in the first century. And it is uh, in reference to the royal apparel. Not only did Esther put on her royal outward royal apparel, but for three days they had stressed the importance of the inward man. Again, so the admonition is, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. The contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Now, what are some expensive, uh, Mary Joy, I don't know if you're looking for a new dress, uh, but uh, some of the most 
expensive dresses that are out there. I thought you might be interested in this this morning. Meghan Markle had her, uh, her engagement photos taken in a $75,000 Ralph and Russo gown. I just talked to your dad. He's, he's loaded. Not a problem. He'll you just put, put it on the card. Put it on the card. $75,000. Not to be outdone, Kate Middleton... Her wedding dress was an Alexander McQueen, and she paid $332,000 for her wedding dress. Now, I'll tell you, Mary Joy, that right now your dad is looking at me over the top of his glasses. You're like, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. That's not happening. So we look at that and say, whoa, that's a, that's a lot of money for a dress, $332,000. But it cannot be compared to the royal apparel that you have as a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that of a meek and quiet spirit, that of gentleness, that of good, and put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. That humility, that grace, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill it in the lust thereof. Haman's not going to do that. Again, verse 9, he's got a glad heart, he's joyful, but, but, but. He invited to a state dinner, but not just any state dinner. I mean, I, I can see him going home and talking to his family and saying, I've been invited to a state dinner. And a state dinner, typically, you see what's going on around the world today, might be 50 or 60 people, uh, uh, ambassadors, heads of state, other elected officials. Uh, and to be invited to a state dinner where there are 50, 60 people there, uh, that'd be quite quite, a, quite an honor. Just out of curiosity, has anybody in the room here ever been invited to a state dinner? Okay, let the record show that nobody raised their hand or nobody wanted to admit to it. <clears throat> but what a great honor that would be. Just a normal person didn't get to enjoy that. But this is not just any state dinner. This is a state dinner with the queen and the king. It's a state dinner of three. And I've been invited. Haman. And you haven't. That's how important I am. But, but, moved with indignation. What is that? Indignation is anger, resentment, outrage, annoyance, cross, to the point that his visage changed. Can you imagine a man that is talking about how wonderful he is and how great things are, and then all of a sudden, but, that guy at the gate that, that won't, that won't, Worship me. Visage. Indignation causes your visage, the, the way you look, to change, your transform. And you ever look at somebody and go, whoa, that person is mad. We were out knocking on doors yesterday, and uh, Zachary, uh, Zachary Meyer and I were, were partnered up. And the first house we went to, the guy had uh, mental issues. And he started uh, saying things and reacting in a way that it was one of those things that, you know, we're going to give you space, buddy. <laughs> and so uh, I gave him a gospel track and uh, we backed away. But he obviously, uh, it changed the way he looked. You can look at his face and go, this guy is dangerous. This guy is dangerous. 
And so we, we backed away and uh, went to the next house. <clears throat> indignation. Uh, one of the first occurrences of indignation in God's word is found in 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, verse 27. The king of Moab fought against Israel. The battle was sore. He, took, he, he realized he was not winning. And so he took 700 of his sword bearers and he said, we're going to have one push and we're going to try to break through the line to uh, get to Moab and we're going to join forces and then maybe we can defeat Israel. That push, they were not successful. Uh, Israel was able to uh, push them back and uh, uh, Israel won the battle on that day. But the king of Moab was moved with indignation against Israel that caused him to take his oldest son, heir to the throne, and take him on the, up, up on the walls of the city where everybody could see, and he killed his son and offered his son as a burnt offering. He killed his son and burned his body on the top of the wall of the city because he was moved with indignation against Israel for winning the battle. They think, really? Really? Would somebody... Listen, you, you make provision for the flesh. You have no idea what you are capable of. Say, preacher, I'd, I'd never kill my son. Yeah, I'm sure the king of Moab said that. I think if you would have asked Haman ten years earlier, can you envision yourself wiping out an entire race of people because you're mad at just one of them? No, no, I would never do that. But here he is. I say again, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision of the for the flesh to fulfill it in the lust thereof. Because the flesh is never satisfied. And the, our jails are full of murderers today, people that have taken somebody else's life because they let the flesh, indignation, rule rather than common sense and Haman was full, verse 9, full of indignation. UC Berkeley, California, not a bastion of fundamentalism, not a, not a, a, not a group, a college uh, that I would read a lot, but they, they did a, a research study just recently that caught my attention. And this is what they, they, they found out, that people, Haman, under the influence of power, are almost like they're suffering brain damage. They, they have all of the symptoms, a person in power has all of the symptoms of someone who is suffering from traumatic brain injury. Loss of contact with reality. Progressive isolation, restlessness, recklessness, impulsiveness, believing that they'll be vindicated in court. Should it go there? And here's a Haman full of indignation. Some of the most powerful leaders, ten of the most powerful leaders in the history of the world. The first person who is listed in that list of ten is Ramesses II. Cyrus the Great is number two. Alexander the Great, Trajan, Constantine. In this list of people, and each person had a paragraph, that this study was made most powerful people 
uh, leaders in the world that ever existed. They listed one name, but no description. And that name was Jesus Christ. But it wasn't in the top five, but it was in the top ten. I've got news for you. Nine out of the other ten people on that list are all dead. But Jesus Christ is alive and liveth forevermore. And he will absolutely be worshipped as the King of kings and the Lord of the Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the greatest leader that has ever lived on the face of this earth. Hands down. No question. No question. But, where does that leave us today? That leaves us the same place that Esther is. We're living in a time of animosity towards Christianity, towards the things of Christ. What do you do? Put on your loyal apparel. And what does Esther do? She just trusts God. Trusting God. Chapter 5, again, is an interesting study of contrast of a lady that says, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. And a guy says, you best not mess with me or I'll have you murdered. I'll have you killed. Contrast between those two. Appraising self. Haman. And humility towards God. Esther. Again, have you ever met a guy like Haman? Verse 11. You go into the workplace. Hey, folks, let me, let me. You, you had a good weekend? Let me tell you how great I am. Let me tell you how wonderful I am. Let me tell you how much power I have. Let me tell you the party I've been invited to. Let me tell you, and he talks about his children. That means, in his eyes, I've been blessed by the gods to have lots of children. Hey, this guy is stuck on himself. I hope that you're not that way. We should be lifting high the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Psalm 146 <clears throat> says this, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Verse 5 of Psalm 146 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Why? Uh, verse 7, For the Lord looseth prisoners, the Lord openeth the eyes of the, pri- of, of the blind. In verse 8, The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the stranger. The Lord relieveth the fatherless. The, but the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. And God is going to do that in Esther as well. And God still does that today. The way of the wicked, it just not going to end the way you think it is. You may be the person in power. You may think you're the person. Don't you mess with me. But God has a way of turning that upside down. The, the better response is to put on the royal apparel and walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> Stand up, stand up for Jesus. We sing that song, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It it shall not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor and watching unto prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. 
Stand up for stand up for Jesus. A strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor song. To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He, with the King of glory, shall reign eternally. And people look at Esther and say, she was too trusting. This is not going to end well. But there is somebody in chapter 5 that is too trusting. That man is Haman. He's trusting in Satan's blinding of his eyes to think that he is going to destroy God and God's plan and God's salvation in destroying the Jewish people. He's way too trusting of Satan himself. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Riches. Some have coveted after. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out and have food and raiment. Let us be therewith content. Content. What does it mean to be too trusting, to be naive, gullible, taken advantage of? 74-year-old Tommy Bird heard that his neighbors were fighting and so the 74-year-old man, he's crippled over and got his cane and walked out the front door and walked next door and uh, talked to uh, Derek, uh, Derek's 35-year-old neighbor, and said, Derek, 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 don't, don't be hitting your wife. And Derek, his neighbor, took out a gun and shot the 70-year-old man dead on his front porch. You say, preacher, I, I would never do that. Well, you give, you give occasion to the flesh, you have no idea what you would do. Satan as a roaring lion. The Bible says he can transform himself into an angel of light. Haman, seduced by power, he's about to fall, far, fall hard. But don't let that fall be you. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. You're in, you're in a battle.